Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He goes on to say something he said before, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is our part in fulfilling his plan. Learn the word of God and then do the word of God. But he's saying, this will be the proof you love me. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's our part to secure and enable us. Happy Friday. In today's broadcast, we have part one of Pastor Sam's two-part message, The Way, the Truth, and the Life. We are in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, and we're still looking at the Last Supper. Now, I say that because it's wonderful that John chose to give so much press to the teachings that Jesus gave his disciples during that last get-together Jesus had with them before the cross. So, let's listen in. Jesus begins, John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Jesus' exhortation is that they would find peace through faith and the promises of the Father and in the promises of the Son. And this exhortation comes on the heels of some, well, rather troubling revelations. He told them at the end of the last chapter that they, well, had a one who would betray him among them. Their question was the right one. Could it be me? And then he said, well, and John doesn't record it, but the other gospel accounts do. All of you will betray me. All of you, excuse me, will forsake me. There's a difference. All of you will forsake me for it is written, and he quotes from Zechariah 13.3, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So important. He's saying one will betray, all will forsake. Peter balks at that, not me. They may, I won't. And then he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. They're devastated by these revelations. And so Jesus looks at them and just says, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Listen, whatever's going on with them, things are going on all around us. January is one of the most radical months that I remember as far as natural and man-made disasters, both are happening as far as pestilence and wars and rumors of wars. Many of the things Jesus warned would precede his coming for us. And, and by the way, I started to make a list and I was going to share some of it with you. And then I remembered this is supposed to be about comforting people, not freaking them out. <laughs> and so I'm going to wait on that. But I want to say we do have things to be concerned about, and most of them are relational. I'm not as worried about what's going on uh, everywhere in the world, although I'm concerned. 
I'm very concerned about what's happening in my home and in our fellowship and in our community and the lives of people over who we have influence and with whom we have fellowship because things are going the wrong direction and going the wrong direction quickly. And so, so in the light of what they were going through and in the light of what you might be going through, my personal view is the greatest trials of life, they happen with the same people that are the greatest blessings in our lives. And that's all of those people closest to us. So if you have a prodigal son or a prodigal parent or you have a, a spouse who's not walking with the Lord or, well, some of you have lost spouses this year. Many of you lost homes last year. There's been so many things that have taken place or just before last year. It's all kind of, you know, just one big crazy mess. But listen, I want to read these words again to you, and I want you to personalize them. It's one thing that he says it to them, and we know the context, but whatever it is you're going through that could trouble you today, listen to these words, and know he's saying them to you as well. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. By the way, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, give us Jesus teaching a summary of the book of Revelation and the many things that are going to happen in it and those things that are going to happen just preceding the great judgments of that final seven-year period, God's wrath poured out on planet Earth. And Luke tells us when all these things begin to happen, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Not only that, he says, pray that you would be found worthy to escape all these things that will come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. Well, anyway, Peter's devastated, and more than the others, how do we know he's not saying anything? That's so rare. Thomas is going to speak. Philip's going to speak. But we're not going to hear from Peter, not for a while. Thomas says to Jesus, in light of his encouragement, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I'm so grateful that he posed that question. And it is hard to understand how they didn't know because he just said, in my father's house, many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Where else would he be doing that but in his father's house? Well, Thomas says, we don't know where. How can we know the way? Jesus' response, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he tells them exactly where he's going. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some say Jesus is one among many. He claims to be the one and only. The only way to the Father. And listen, both can't be true. When people say, I think all roads lead to God. Yeah, but the, the, the question is, will you stand before him and hear well done and enter in? Will you see your heavenly Father 
and be rewarded by him? Or will you here depart from me into that place created for Satan and his fallen angels? Because everyone ultimately stands before God. And, and, and you want to make sure that you're standing before your father and not the righteous judge, though they are one and the same. Your relationship to Jesus will be the deciding factor. So Jesus claims to be the one and only. Both can't be true. It's interesting that he says, I'm not just the way, I'm the truth. He is truth embodied. And, 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 and it's so important that we see it. He doesn't just tell the truth and teach the truth and share the truth. Jesus is the truth. And in a moment, he'll introduce the Holy Spirit and call him the spirit of truth. So in any case, the life, John tells us elsewhere, he who has the son has life. Jesus says, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the way, the father's house, the destination. And he again says, no one comes to the father except through me. We read in the book of Revelation that Jesus opens doors no one can shut and shuts doors no one can open. He's writing to or speaking to at that point the church of Philadelphia, one of the seven churches there in those seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3. And as he shares that insight, he says, see, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. I'd like to think, and I do believe, we are living in a season where the doors are wide open for us to share him, to bring people to faith in him, to disciple them for him, and then send them out to do the same. Will those doors at some time close? Listen, it's happened all over the world. We are one of the few countries where they've never shut it down. Why? Because our founders were believers in Jesus. And you hear a lot of contrary opinions about that today, but they're just opinions. There's no doubt in my mind, having heard and read the things they wrote, the things they said, the documents that they founded this nation upon, those men believed God led them here and revealed himself to them and had a plan to create a nation where there was truly freedom of religion, freedom of expression, and every freedom that he gave us, well, it's being warped and, and, and used and misused and manipulated and just mangled to, to make things that God would abhor legal and okay and approved and applauded while making the things that make the biggest difference, well, less and less available to the public. Well, anyway, we have to continue on. Um, Jesus again, he is the only way to the Father, the embodiment of all truth, the only source of eternal life, providing access to and providing acceptance by the Father to all who come to him through the Son. If you'd known me, verse 7, he says, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. 
Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.1, Jesus is the brightness of his glory, speaking of the Father, and the express image of his person. So easy to process that this once you realize the Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit is spirit. Neither has a physical form. Jesus is the only one who had a body because he took upon himself, well, the form of flesh, coming in the likeness of men. And more than that, he didn't just appear as a man. And we touched on this last time. Jesus became one of us. We celebrated every Christmas, born of the Virgin Mary, tempted in all ways, yet without sin. He died for our sins, buried and risen again. He ascends into heaven, promising he'd come again and receive all who believe in him. That we could be with him and with the Father. That we could see the glory he had with the Father before the world began. Listen, we're never going to see a body on the Father because he's pure spirit and pure light. We're not going to see a body of the Holy Spirit, but we see the Holy Spirit working in every born-again believer and working on every yet-converted person, yet-to-be-converted person. So, so what I, I know to be true is that Jesus and the Father are so much alike, they're more alike than identical twins. We don't see them looking alike, but he says, when you listen to me, you're listening to the Father. The things I say, the Father gives me to say. The things I do, the Father gives me to do. I do always those things that please the Father. They are one in purpose. They're one in mission. They're one in character. And well, we'll come back to those ideas in a moment. Do you not believe, he says in verse 10, that I am in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. You see it? He's not saying the Father's over there and I'm down here. The Father's up there and I'm down here. He's saying the Father's in me and the Holy Spirit upon him. Why? They are one and yet three. They're three persons. They're one God. Can't explain it. I could when I was a brand new Christian and maybe for the first three years. And then I realized you can't describe the infinite God in any human terms. All we know of him, we know from the scripture. And there's quite a bit that the scripture tells us about him. So Jesus just says, hey, the words, they're his. The works, they're his. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the sake of the work themselves. Earlier in John 3, Nicodemus, a regarded, respected, revered religious leader, came to Jesus and said this, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Listen, that's true. But there's more to it than that. And Jesus doesn't even address those issues. He just says, Nick, you must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to get right to the thing 
that was keeping Nicodemus from being secure in his relationship with God. Do you know the most religious people on earth are still insecure in their relationship with God unless they have a relationship with the Father through the Son? It's not about acting spiritual or trying to be spiritual or make spiritual decisions. That's better than being carnal and fleshly and natural. But it's in Christ Jesus that we have every blessing. First three chapters of the book of Ephesians tell us all the things we have in Jesus, chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed with the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on to say, all these blessings are in Christ Jesus. And he goes three chapters before he ever gets to, well, what should we do about it? Why? He wants us to know it's all, everything we do is based on what he's done in response to what he's already done for us and in us. Well, most assuredly, he goes on to say in verse 12, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now the works that Jesus was given to do were all prophesied in the Old Testament, sight to the blind, deaf to the hearing, the lame walked, leapt, ran, that the dead were raised, but the poor had the gospel preached to them. Of all the things Jesus did, that's the one that would have been left out if it weren't him, and that's the only one that saved them from their sin. Yes, he dealt with the physical maladies of men, but those were temporary fixes. Even those he raised from the dead would die again. But when you're born again of the Spirit of God, well, you are alive forever in him. Now, when he says you're going to do greater works, he can't possibly mean in type, because what could be greater than sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and raising the dead, dying for our sin? How could we possibly outdo him? He's talking about greater in number, and here's why. The Holy Spirit descends and convicts us of our sin. He convinces us of Jesus' love and the perfection of his plan for our salvation. And when we surrender, he comforts us and takes up residence within us. Ephesians says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, the fullness of redemption when we stand before him in glory. So, so here's what's happening. The works we do, and the greatest work we can do is just whatever the Father gives us to do. A lot of people think, well, I just got to do something for God. Better than to do something, find out what he wants you to do and do that thing. Why? He's fashioned and formed you specifically for your time and this culture and the people who surround you. He's making you exactly who he wants you to be if you're in Christ Jesus. And he has plans to use you in ways that are going to amaze you. I'm absolutely convinced of it because the need for it is absolute. So here's what we know. If we're going to do greater works, if we're going to magnify him, walk in obedience to him, that's one work Jesus did. And he was the only one 
who always did those things that please the Father. If we're going to do that, it's going to have to be a work of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, and he'll explain this clearly in a moment, is upon every person. He comes alongside every single person. When the Word of God is taught or the Word of God is shared or you hear it or you read it, the Holy Spirit comes alongside to teach you, to convince you these things are true. It's so important that we get it. And then when we open our heart, he's the one who comes in, takes residence, promising never to leave us, never to forsake us. Well, all of that will be fleshed out here in a moment. So, so a couple questions, though, that, that arise because he said, well, you're going to do greater works. But then, then verse 14, and people go crazy with this. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He means anything that's according to his will. Well, why doesn't he say that here? He says it elsewhere. Shouldn't have to say it every time. Ultimately, the deciding factor, and if your prayers will be answered in the affirmative, this are those prayers in the will of God. And listen, he added something else. Will my prayer, or Jesus answering this prayer, bring glory to the Father? Because that's exactly what he said this is about, that whatever you ask in my name, I'll do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It makes a selfish prayer feel as foolish as it should feel. How's the Father going to be glorified if I get that thing or I accomplish this goal? Well, he might be. But listen, when we're just like, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you have for me? What do you want me to do? You know I can't do anything apart from you and we'll see him not just reinforce that, but just flesh it out beautifully in the next chapter. Well, and, and so when we ask, we need to ask according to the will of God. Well, what if we don't know the will of God? Here's an easy prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. If that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus prayed it in relationship to the cross. Father, if there's any other way, any other way for them to be saved, let this cup pass. But the cup didn't pass. The will of the Father was the crucifixion of his son. As horrific as that is, why? That was the only way he could save us from the penalty of our sin. That's the only way we could become children of God and live our lives for him. Well, he goes on to say something he said before. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is our part in fulfilling his plan. Learn the word of God and then do the word of God. But he's saying this will be the proof you love me. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's our part to secure and enable us. He does all the work. We love him and then we walk in obedience to him. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another, another comforter, I believe my old King James says, another helper, my new King James says. I like comforter more than helper. He's both, by the way, and more than that. Why do I like comforter more? I need comfort more than I need help. But I do need both. And he's not just our comforter and our helper, he's our teacher. He's the one who reminds us of the things we've been taught. 
He's the one who convicts of judgment, of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. He's the one who seals us into the day of redemption. He's the one who comforts us in our times of trial and affliction. Listen, we need the Holy Spirit and He's provided Him, made Him available to everyone who opens their heart to Him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, that verse used to bother me a little. I thought that whenever I was not faithful to keep one of His commandments, I must not truly love Him. Well, what I realize now is that verse doesn't say that if I don't keep all of his commandments all of the time, that I must not love him. The fact that I keep the commandments I do is a testimony of my love for him. And when I do fail to keep some, and I ask for mercy and forgiveness and I repent, this is yet another testimony of my love for him. Remember, it's the enemy of our souls, the accuser of the brethren that wants to condemn us and make us believe that we are not worthy. Well, if we were not worthy, Jesus would not have given his life for us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.